Hello, and greetings from the Mirror Zone. I'm Bryce Skidmore. And I'm David Leskin, and I'm feeling particularly mirrory today. I don't know about you. We definitely read uh, a little story that's uh, very relevant for right now. Yeah, talk about going through the mirror darkly and realizing you're on the other side of the mirror already. Yeah, it's um, it's good to be back, and it's good to do this story. We read it a while ago, and it just we never really had an opportunity to like really set it down, and somehow the stars aligned after this week. <laughs> Talk about the last week. It's never more an appropriate time, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this is um, this is our episode on the screw fly solution by James Tripty Jr., uh, who is not James Tripty Jr. No, it's it's uh, one of many pseudonyms. Uh, but who was the name of the actual author? Um, she's credited in. Was it sometimes she's credited as uh, Rakona Sheldon? Yes. And uh, sometimes it's Alice Sheldon. And I think uh, Rakona Sheldon and the James Tripty were... Like, James Tripty is obviously a male name, and uh, Rakona, I think, could go either way. So I think maybe it was this deal where, like, she was trying to... J.K. Rowling this. Just, like, not immediately be associated with the gender. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a good choice. Yeah. No, uh, thank you for bringing it up. Like, this is <laughs> this fucking story, man. I know. I, I come out of it feeling shell-shocked. I don't know about you, especially having watched uh, The Masters of Horror based on it as well. Yeah. No, and it was a great episode, by the way. If you guys get a chance, you should check out The Masters of Horror. Uh, Joe Dante directs it. Season 1, episode 7, I believe it was. Yeah, and um, we'll get, like, we'll talk more about it, because, like, the, unlike the Paladin of the Lost Hour, where, like, I feel like, like, I'm glad we have that Twilight Zone episode, so, like, it kind of, but they kind of complement each other too much. They're almost too much the same story in some ways. The Screwfly Solution film took some very interesting liberties. It, it took some liberties, but it ended up feeling very uh, man-on-the-ground, as opposed to sort of the creeping dread, which was the excellent part about the, the written story. Mm. So, without further ado, you think maybe we should do plot time? Let's do it! Cool. Uh, do you want to go or should I? Okay. Uh, so, um, the story, The Screwfly Solution, uh, is set on a family. Uh, Father Alan, Mother Anne, and their daughter. And uh, Dad is a scientist who is uh, working in Colombia, um, trying to curtail a pest problem that they have. Uh, when, out of nowhere, angels start appearing to people all over the world, and a rash of violence against women following an outbreak pattern starts to emerge. And, uh, you know, a lot of really bad things happen. Uh, religious fervor reaches an extreme height, and it ends with complete social unrest and, like, an attempted femicide. Like, just men turn on women everywhere. It's basically the end of the world. Yeah, but, like, on a delay timer. Because it's, like, you know, it's horrible right away, but then, like, I mean, obviously the, the whole end game is there just aren't going to be people anymore. And it's, like, going to be a slow, lingering death because it's, like, it's, like, oh, well, I guess we just die out now. Yeah, this is the last generation. They really left a mark on the Earth before they leave. Things get really intense. The the main character, one of the main characters, Alan, who's uh, super uh, progressive, forward-thinking, he's a scientist, and he doesn't believe in violence against women, yet he still falls to this infection, whatever it is, and he's put in an unfortunate position where he is... He kills their daughter, and he has to be killed by his wife. That's and right. Yeah. And and his wife ends up going on to lead the major portion of the rest of the story. Yeah, no, she's she she kicks it as far away from people as she can. She hides in the woods. She doesn't light fires so that 
you know, hunters don't see her. Uh, she dresses in drag so as to avoid detection. And at the very end of the story, she meets one of the angels. Or not meets, she sees it. And it's not an angel. It's it's an alien. It's an alien. And it's... We can get into that later. Like, we, get, we, we need to get into yeah. it later. <laughs> these two parts in the story seem like they're very different. It's two different genres. We have End of the World, Apocalypse, we have Feminist Horror, and we also have Aliens because it's a science fiction. Mm-hmm. And ultimately we'll find out why the aliens are there as well. Exactly. Now, uh, was it the title of the story is the screwfly solution um was it do you remember like what the deal is with that or like yeah so the the main characters we already talked about alan and he's working with barney yes and the two of them are uh epidemiologists Mm. right and they're working to try and eradicate this fly infestation by um that has been uh killing all of the cattle Mm. and and you know they're generally pests and basically the two main characters have in the past been tasked to get rid of different fly populations by basically causing them to not be able to breed anymore yeah so like yeah just um take all of and what was it they say specifically for the thing it's the males of the species so they they like will bombard like male screw flies with this type of radiation that makes them infertile and then send them out into the world, and then the populations drop because there are no more fertile males. Right. And we come to see this as being sort of an explanation narrative of what's going on in mm-hmm. a larger sense that leads to this catastrophe. But it's only... Whereas they're... They explain that it's an enzyme that's released into the air uh, via planes, crop dusters, and the like. Mm. But it's only targeting this one thing, a fly. Mm. And we come to find out that the same sort of thing is happening, but it's only targeting humans, and it's only targeting human males. I don't know. Do you want to go into quotes after that? Or? Yes. Yes. Okay. We can do that. We can definitely go into quotes. Yeah, let me grab my quotes. I've got quotes of the wazoo. Because I've got... Was it... I think I have, like, one or two before your first quote, but they're not, like, really big. Uh, was it the first... And I think it's interesting, because it's, like... I, I like to do a thing where it's, like, I'll, I'll take a look at and focus on the first sentence of a story, because I think it's a great way to introduce to introduce like some themes. Uh, The beginning of the Screwfly Solution is, the young man sitting at two degrees north by 75 degrees west sent a casually venomous glance up a non-functional shoe fly ventilator. And I I love the idea of something being casually venomous. (laughs) Yeah, as though that that makes it any less potent or any less venomous. Yeah, but it's like the idea of something that, you know, can be, uh, yeah, that could just be, um, like, menacing, and yet somehow, like, it's there every day. Like, something women have to deal with. Right, and and much like the way that the catcalling and ugly attention towards women in the story escalates towards violence, uh, the, the narrative mirrors that this sort of casual extermination of a species that slowly becomes spiraling horror. Yeah, no, so, uh, was it, the story opens with, like, these, uh, these name drops of cities around the world where this stuff is happening. So it's not just located in one place. This is a worldwide problem. Pittsville, Sao Paulo, Phoenix, San Diego, Shanghai, New Delhi, Tripoli, Brisbane, Johannesburg, Lubbock, Texas. He says the hint is, remember where the international tropical, the intertropical convergence zone is now? That makes no sense to me. Maybe it will to your superior ecological brain. All I could see about the clippings was that they were fairly horrible accounts of murders or massacres of women. The worst was in New Delhi, about rafts of female corpses in the river. The funniest was in was the Texas Army official who shot his wife, three daughters, and his aunt because God had told him to clean the place up. It's one of the scarier parts about this story, and 
I, I think that the movie did a good job of conveying this as well. You you have what's scary is we're not even coming into this story as these atrocities are starting. They've already started, mm-hmm. and we're seeing that the world really doesn't give this the attention that it needs to. Already, that's part of the problem. So, yeah, and it is, and it's like it's super chilling for us too because it's like they do this in the movie, but like for us the reader as well, it's like we're getting this on the news. This is not even, it's not even like we have someone like out there immediately like seeing this and it's like, or like someone in a government lab like being like, this is the problem that's happening. It's like, no, this it's just on the news now. It's just, it's already in the streets. That's right. And, you know, as much as during the story, they end up closing off different cities to try and stem the flow of this disease. It's far too late for mm-hmm. that to happen. It's already spread. Exactly. And there, and religious organizations have like sprung up to like, they call it in the film, they call it a symptom, and it like really is. It's like this thing where it's like, we have these violent we have these violent tendencies towards women, so they rationalize them. It's like, oh no, it's it's not misogyny. We're the sons of Adam. You know, we're the new Pauline Brotherhood, like we're the no, it's like it's godly what we're doing. Right. With without a religious narrative to frame the situation, it's just a bunch of people committing violence like sociopaths and justifying it Mm. so what you have is more sort of and i mean this is hinted a lot throughout is injecting the situation as you're perceiving into a metaphysical realm the the religious part is is sort of a way for the human brain to contextualize if it needs to give a reason for why this violence is happening Mm -hmm. a reason for it that there's gods that the angels are have come that this is some sort of end times justification no and it's like it, it very much reminds me is like i mean just my mind is immediately called back to like you know eric von daniken's like chariots of the gods type deal where it's like you know like yeah it's it seems somewhat interesting that these things would appear and be like oh no it's cool you should totally kill women and unfortunately like a lot of people would look at the obvious supernatural thing confronting them and probably not think twice about it and they also don't think twice about it because like they're already infected like it's not they don't even really need to be told like to kill because some people don't see the angels at all no that's right some people they witness acts of violence and it it triggers them it activates them and afterwards they look for purpose in that by joining this group of people that's giving it a framework but in reality, a lot of them are not even exposed to that. It's just, it happens as quickly as, as getting angry or aroused. Yeah. Cardinal Fazzoli, spokesman for the European Pauline movement, reaffirmed his view that the scriptures define woman as merely a temporary companion and instrument of man. Women, he states, are nowhere defined as human, but merely a transitional expedient or state. The time of transition to full humanity is at hand, he concluded. Yeah, that's... It's pretty chilling, especially when you consider a lot of people's justification for subjugating women coming from religious doctrines, such Mm -hmm. as, you know, using the the metaphor of uh, Eve coming from the ribs. Mm -hmm. It's it's all about this idea of justification that women are the transiary, uh, they're there to to Mm -hmm. usher in the babies. Yeah, they're the vessels. Exactly. They're the vessels in the same way that a lot of, if you look at a lot of older medical drawings where uh, people tried to figure out the sperm and the egg system. Mm-hmm. You see these little men uh, drawn inside of wooden ships being shot into the woman. 
And the woman was not even considered important. She was just a holding container. Mm. And all of the important things were said to have come out of the man and his fluid. Mm. And it's a pretty good metaphor for this sort of uh, for this sort of behavior and justifying it. Yeah. No, and this is like, and it's, I mean, interesting to me too, because it's like, I think immediately of uh, um, a noted woman, noted lady killer, William S. Burroughs, um, happens to be an all right writer. Uh, I actually, I like him. Um, not like as a person, and his fiction is highly problematic. Like, I just find him interesting because of that generation. But he did, uh, he murdered his wife when they were uh, living in Mexico City uh, because he didn't want to go back to face uh, his heroin charges. So they get drunk one night and they they play their William Tell act and he shoots her in the head. And he flees back to the United States with their kids and never sees the inside of a jail cell for it. Um, later on in his life, he would espouse this very odd belief that women were a separate species from men, that they were sort of a pair parasitic organism that realized that it's best uh, it's best served like you know by entwining itself with dudes which like already is super like i mean obviously not true uh but the things that i find very interesting about it is that so many like the guy the cardinal um the sons of adam and even people like william s burroughs could somehow rationalize to themselves that there is enough of a difference like that there is there is something about women that is unhuman and that's it's like the building blocks for violence, like internal violence. It's the building blocks for violence, and it's the building blocks for um, allowing justification to occur on a massive scale. Mm. Because you get all of these people who should be reacting in horror to this sort of rhetoric, and instead they're applauding it mm-hmm. and seeing it as the only way through, like they're born again. Yeah. No, it's, that actually that reminds me of a, another quote. Um, Barney is, uh, Barney's in an odd grim mood. He's talking about the Sons of Adam thing very seriously. It seems he's going to be on investigating the co- on the investigating committee if that ever gets off the ground. The weird part is that nobody seems to be doing anything, as if it's just too big. And I think that that's super interesting, where it's like, you know, we're talking about full-on femicide. Like, we're talking about a society that is openly violent and hostile towards women. And... Like, like it, does, like it already seems to be at this point, like you know, in full-on terror territory. But like, the problem is too big. And what I think is interesting about that is it kind of reminds me of stuff like, uh, like what we talked about with like the ones who walk away from Omelas, or like some with like the Paladin of the Lost Hour, where it's like, you know, one of the easiest ways to to like be calm is to shut yourself off from a bigger problem. Right. So it's like there's. There's this moment already where it's like, it's like, oh, I might want to get onto a a committee to investigate this. Like, I guess it seems pertinent. There's a lot of people who have ideas about how they can do something, but they're not extreme enough. They're not quick enough, and they don't seem to understand the full gravity of the situation that's unfolding around them. Because it is... That's the, the frightening thing about this, is we see this from the point of view mainly of two characters, and it is entirely too big for any person. And and that's kind of what's most shocking about this and why it's most effective as a science fiction. Not just the aliens part, but the idea that we can see kernels of truth of this in our own society, you know, I mean especially with all of these sexual harassment uh, incidents coming out where mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're a lot of people considered this an open secret in the same yeah. way that sex trafficking, uh, violence against women in other countries, all of this, it's not it's not necessarily tolerated, but I'd say it's, it's too big of a problem. People don't know how to wrap their heads around it. And what we're seeing is the science fiction extension of that, where mm. it's not just too late, but it's miles and miles into too late. You know, and it's like, yeah, this is a science fiction story, but 
you're right, this speaks to some very serious issues because it's uh, women are far more likely to be victims of domestic abuse. Women are far more likely, if they work as sex workers, to be assaulted, murdered, or uh, raped. That's just, this is just a problem. Like, you know, there's, we seem to live in a society in many ways that, you know, many aspects of it don't regard uh, women's safety as being very important. Do you remember in the beginning of the movie we saw where the neighbors are watching the man being taken away who murdered his family. Mm-hmm. And what was it that the husband said? Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, no, this guy murdered. And it's like, that's the the one that we talk about. Like, in the story, the guy who um, murders his wife and two daughters. The movie starts with that little chestnut. And as he's being taken away to the car, and he said, God told me to make the house clean. And one of the, the dude neighbors is like, oh, poor guy. Exactly. What the fuck, man? How is, like, how do you find out that your neighbor killed like three people and you're immediately you like you're just immediately like oh poor guy and it it reminds me not he must just, feel so bad <laughs> yeah and it, it it reminds me a lot of what's happening now with a lot of especially people I, I think there's a quote i'm gonna butcher or paraphrase by woody allen but he he was talking about how he hopes a lot of these uh incidents coming out doesn't turn into a witch hunt mm-hmm. which i think sort of exactly explains this kind of narrative yeah. of that same kind of sentiment the the first thing that he he thought was he sympathized with this man for cleaning up his affairs Mm -hmm. and you know there's that same sort of feeling like it's either people have to willfully ignore the problem or they have to sympathize it with it in a way that's pretty scary to to figure out the implications for yeah well no and it's like it's interesting the way that you say where it's like um like the the way that things get conceptualized or like put to us um like and i think it's interesting too like with like what you were talking about with the things that are going on in the public spotlight right now with um with harvey weinstein and louis ck and uh, a lot of people uh was it um there's this one line uh i think it's spreading but nobody knows because the media have been asked to downplay it yeah it it doesn't seem that far off from what could really happen does it then it's like i'm not like and here's the thing like i'm not saying like that this is blown out of proportion what i think is like fascinating and i'm ready to listen and believe that these incidences these stories they happened um the thing that really just blows my mind is like i had no idea how much like we like you said before like with harvey weinstein it was just sort of an open secret people have been making jokes about how harvey weinstein's a fucking perv for years and and now like once all of the victims start coming forward and that really has kicked off something as of late more and more women are coming forward and this is starting to look less like you know like some some weird casting couch like movie that you might have seen in the 1970s some weird conception that you might have of you know the really gross shit that people do in hollywood to like you know make deals but then like realize like oh god it's just been there all along it's institutionalized it is and it's like and i didn't take it seriously enough none of us did like no and you know i can remember a time in the 90s when you know newspapers like the inquirer and you would have like you know crappy daytime interview shows and you would get people telling these stories and it was taken with oh well take this with a grain of salt you know and we didn't realize at the time these people were whistleblowing very seriously it wasn't mm-hmm. something to just watch an expose on and move on. Yeah. It was ingrained. I'm going to do a really short quote real quick. That's it's just totally a one-sentence quote. Um, when one man kills his wife, you call it murder, but when enough do it, we call it a lifestyle. Yeah. It, it ties into this a lot more about something about institutionalizing it, where you can see this narrative as a lot of different things. You can see it as an outbreak narrative. You can see it as a narrative making science fiction out of violence towards women. There's just a lot of different ways that you can look at it, but 
you know, that's definitely what most of the people feel like throughout the book who are gripped with this sort of insanity. Yeah. Well, then it's like, that's the thing that's even terrifying is like, like it's not just, it is institutionalizing, but it's like, it's also this normalization where it's like, you know, the minute you hear that it happened to someone else, like, and this is a thing that like really bums me out is it's a thing that can make me dismissive of tragedy stories. And it's, if I've heard it before, which is really terrifying when it comes, like, when you think about it, like, if you if you realize in yourself that you have the capacity to hear a horrible story, and then you have, like, the knee-jerk reaction sometimes, like I do, where it's, like, tales old as time. Yeah, and, it's especially true because we've, we're all plugged into the news all the time. I mean, you know, news ratings have definitely slipped in the last 10 or 15 years, but at the same time, we know that there's families every day who are seeing all of these atrocities and they're maybe even reading their newspaper or, or using their phone while it's going on, it becomes normal mm. and everyday and common and it loses its punch and you lose your ability to see it for the threat that it is. Okay, so um, was it? I want to talk about this real quick because um, it sort of goes along with this normalizing behavior that the whole section about the Petesville cult really creeps me the fuck out. It's, there's a, a woman who is a doctor working for the CDC who goes into Pedesville to investigate. Um, we should strategies. mention that, the, that this could be very, some of this material is very maybe trigger warning or something. Like oh yeah. That. No, and it's like, I mean, I, like I do, and maybe we should, like, I could probably record something before this where it's like, okay. and just like drop it in at the beginning. Cause it's like, no, we're going to, we're talking about femicide. This is a, this is a horrible, and it's not a horrible story. It's a great story, but it has a lot of dark things in it. It has the systematic extermination of the female half of the species, and then eventually the entire species through the most violent, fucked up way you can think of. Yeah, death isn't even the worst thing that happens to most of the people in this story. No, it's like, that's, and that's the thing that's even more frightening to me, is like, you know, we, and we can get to it later, but like when Alan turns, Alan, who's like a cool dude, and who is like our other hero, and we're reading about all of the progress that he makes, and then he talks about things like, I didn't even notice I was holding a knife in my hand. Like, just these really weird moments where it's like, you know, you know, like sort of one of the things that made The Shining really good was the fact that you spend so much time with Jack Torrance, you actually get to admire him as a protagonist before you realize, like, he's he's on a dark road. Like, he is he's there to kill his family. You don't realize the protagonists in the story are going to be compromised. <clears throat> yeah. And that they're going to become unreliable. And it's like, and you would think like, you know, and that's another thing like, you know, that sort of uh, fucks with like your expectations of a story like this. Cause it's like, there's a lot of science fiction that I can think of from that era where people just, you know, the scientist comes through with a nerd solution in the 11th hour. Like, you know, that's just a deal that happens where it's like someone will, Oh no, it's okay. Someone will figure it out. Not only did our scientists not figure it out, our scientist became a killer. <laughs> yes, he gives in to every horrible thing that he fears he sees around him. And it's it's not like a lot of these other stories of horror of, of people's mind being compromised where you see the torturous transformation. Mm-hmm. It happens all at once. Yeah. No, and it's like, there's something that's even more unsettling about that to me is that uh like and this is a thing that's very strange to me like just to think about and that's a thing that i meditated on a lot with this story is human beings have a capacity for violence like we all do and you know it's like i kind of it just reminds me of just like this weird stuff that happens on the internet when like men's rights activists freak out over like you know not all men and it's like i wonder 
I wonder what uh, Alice Sheldon would think. Sheldon would think of someone who says "not all men," like, or like, and it's one of those things where it's like, like, or maybe the story is important for that because it's like once you realize, like, no, literally any man is capable of this violence, and women expect and women experience violence every day from strangers. So it's really not helpful to like have that mentality. And I think by showing Alan degenerate the way that he does, right it kind of really takes the air out of that statement. It, it's one of the reasons that this is such a successful both uh, feminist fiction and also science fiction, speculative fiction, mm. because you frame this in the same way that a lot of these other, I would say, Cold War or Red Fear-inspired narratives like Body Snatchers mm. and Night of the Living Dead, where if you didn't have the sci-fi element, what you're talking about is the psychology of people teaming up going insane and killing each other. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, this is sort of elevated by being a science fiction story and not just a bad reflection of our world. Yeah, no, and it's, and you're right, because it's like, it's even more like, and that's the thing that I super love about it in the science fiction aspect is like, that it does, it sticks to a hard science fiction element to begin with, like this idea of pesticides and the eradication of a species, where it's simple science to us. Like, to humans, it's like, oh, no, of course. Like, it was a, it was an, an innovative technique that we used to uh, fix the screwfly screw problem. That's because we are so much bigger and we think that we're so much better than flies right. that we could, like, figure out a way to do it. And then what happens when something looks at us like we're screwflies? Yes, exactly. I, we, we look at this in the, in the context of things like a zombie narrative, but what's interesting is it does fit a lot more into the sort of B-movie environment is striking back narrative as well mm. if you didn't have the aliens you've got like you know the day of the triptids frogs mm. bats you have all of these things mm. of nature you could almost yeah. imagine the scientists in the beginning being like the men are going crazy and they're killing everyone yeah and then like you said the pencil necks at the end solve the the you know the disease and although there are a few women in uh, unaffected and and men left they will rebuild. And by gosh, we'll learn our lessons from before and the world will be a better place. And that's not that's not what no. Sheldon is showing us. No, this is definitely more of a Day of the Dead or, or World War Z mm. type of story. Definitely. I'm also like I mean, I'm also immediately like my mind is called to uh, the Omega Man. Where it's like there is like, you know, sort of with the the same religious fervor the same infection that's sort of like around and pervades a community and right. incites them to violence um, and being the only person outside of it who sees that it's wrong. Right. But then like, but then it gets fucked. Like, but then that, that story fucks with your expectation because by the end of it, it's like, oh, well, I've been killing all of these people and I didn't think that they were people. I thought they were just zombies. Right. In, in this, it's like, oh no, they're not zombies. Those are humans. Those are dudes. Those are people that... You were married to one of them, like the one that tried to kill you, the one that killed your daughter. So it's like, it, it, there is this sort of like n zombie aspect to it, but I like what you said, like sort of the nature fighting back. It's like somehow natural selection got turned on us. Yeah, it, and, and you know, like a lot of other horror movies where you break it down or science fiction stories, the zombie represents the other, the all-encompassing mm -hmm. other that's trying to invade the normal and create and repopulate itself. Mm. And, you know, as we find out later, that's not entirely untrue. It's just that we're the screw flies mm. and the humans are aliens coming to take over. Right. Uh, uh, so one of the parts that really, like, um, really fucked with me in terms of uh, just normalized behavior uh, was this guy goes 
this guy escorts a woman into one of the contaminated zones where the sons of Adam are like the cult is in full swing. She goes to investigate, but she is immediately like looked down upon and like passed off like to like these other dudes. But bas- basically there's a lady scientist there to try to help them figure out what the hell's going on. And no one respects her because she's a woman. So they stick her in a room. They make her um, progressively more uncomfortable like, they keep her in a place that's, like, super hot, and then eventually, like, one of the dudes just gets so angry at her mere presence that he murders her. And it's, and he does it super calm. It's, like, whatever. It's just, you know, it's like, no, oh, meant to do that. It, it's and, actually pretty disconcerting. Yeah. No, and this is, the way that that section ends, the play out is, uh, if I had known there would be all this hassle, I never would have done them, done them the favor. I'm not crazy, and I've done, and I have not done anything wrong, and my lawyer will get me out. That's all I have to say. It's, it's chilling how cool and collective that sounds. This is like if somebody accidentally dinged their car into a light pole or something like mm. that. There's just, there's no real gravity of the situation, but there's a cool, collected intelligence underneath mm. it that's sort of scary as well. And it's like, and it's this, and it's an intelligence that is aware, like, like he says straight up, like, I have done nothing wrong. My lawyer will get me off. But it's like, if you believe those two things simultaneously after killing someone, A, that you've done nothing wrong, and B, that, oh, you know, my, if I have a good lawyer, it's not going to matter anyways. That is already... <laughs> it, it, yes, it's very scary, and even worse, that's, not, that's just the beginning of it. It progresses to the point where we get beyond, I didn't do anything wrong, to hunting for sport and joking about it. He threw himself on the lumpy cot, his mind going back exultantly to his work. At the cost of a million bites and cane cuts, he was pretty sure he'd found the weak link in the cane fly cycle. The male mass mating behavior, the comparative scarcity of ovulant females. It would be the screw fly solution all over again with the sexes reversed. Concentrate the pheromone, release sterilized females. Luckily, the breeding populations were comparatively isolated. In a couple of seasons, they ought to have it. Have to let them go on spraying poison meanwhile, of course. Damn pity. It was slaughtering everything and getting in the water, and the cane flies had evolved to immunity anyway. But in a couple of seasons, maybe three, they could drop the cane fly population below reproductive viability. No more tortured, tormented human bodies with those stinking larvae in the nasal passages and brain. He drifted off for a nap, grinning. And, you know, in case you couldn't tell, this is not just what's happening to the screw fly. No. This is about what's happening to the people. Yeah, and it's the thing that actually, and it's weird because it's like I didn't, like it didn't really ping with me the first time I read it, but like that whole thing where it's like, oh, we're still, we're still going to have to go on poisoning the water and all this stuff. Like, like he actually says this where it's like, it kind of makes me wonder about like the, you know, it makes me wonder about the ecology of this world that's already, that is already so used to like pumping dangerous chemicals in without really thinking about the consequences Right, exactly. And in many ways, the aliens are being comparatively less dangerous to the Earth than we are. They're only getting rid of the problem on top, the humans. They're not poisoning the waters and the land. Oh, no, it's super clean with them. No, we, we take care of each other, and then they get all our shit. Yeah. Is it? It's really good. Uh, is it? I like... Um, so that section with Alan immediately jumps to another with Anne. And this is... Um, I really love this line because it's like, I've never read a line read, like I have never like read in my head nervous laughter. Um, but it's, um, she's talking, it's Anne, she's talking about her friend Lillian. Lillian's on some kind of save the women committee, like we were an endangered species. Haha, <laughs> you know Lillian. 
it feels like the wrong kind of dialogue for the situation it, that we're in, but it's so appropriate. It is. And it's also like, and this is the thing that's fascinating to me, is we have so much of the interaction between Anne and her daughter are, until the very end, it is like, it's fine. It's all going to be fine. Dad's down there. He's working on this problem. Like, we're we're going to figure this out. Like, you know, we just stick together and it's, you know, uh, save the women. Uh, don't you think you're being a little alarmist right now? Like, it couldn't possibly get that bad. It, it calls to mind the section uh, where they recommend chemical castration and mm. rounding women up into camps as a solution. Yeah. And, you know, that's the voice of reason in this world at this mm. point. Yeah, which actually, um, this was a thing that I super enjoyed about it, uh, where... Because it's like even their even their planned response to this uh, epidemic is not quite perfect. Because as soon as you mention concentration camps, I'm just like, oh, that is not good. First of all, it's not good because of the Holocaust. Like this is not. I don't think. I don't ever think it's a good idea to get a persecuted group and put them into an area that anyone can get to if they wanted. Like that is frightening. That sounds like the exact opposite of a good idea. And aside from that, I think it's interesting that there's like a couple of there's like a, a few moments where like uh, women do organize and fight back. Like was it the the women from uh, I think it was like from Lubbock, Texas, who yeah. like hijack an airplane because they're like fucking no like a, a straight up little revolution happens in this story of gender versus gender. Yeah, and it seems almost like this is another part of the aliens' calculated response is pretty much no matter what we do, we're ensuring the end of the human race. If we put all the women together, it's making it even easier for us to, to die out. There's really no solution left to us. Yeah. No, and it's like, that was another thing that chilled me about that um, that section that you read was um, drop low reproductive viability. Like, that there's just... Oh, what was that Chuck Palahniuk line on a long enough time rate or on a long enough timeline the survival rate drops to zero? Exactly, and that's that's pretty much what's happened in this is we've already come into the story at zero. Yeah, no, it's there's no way out of this. Um, no, and there's like there's a lot of these really weird like sociological things that start happening throughout the story where it's like I think that was super interesting with the lady hijackers. There was this one notice that uh, Anne noticed in a newspaper that just said that the local funeral home will no longer be accepting the bodies of women. Like, which, like, this is, I mean, it's weird to me because it's like, it kind of reminds me of, reminds me of, like, the AIDS epidemic, like, years later, where it's like, that was the last time that there was, uh, that there was a a victim so taboo. Right, and and that's what's scary about it, is, is, is there's this, this layer of society shielding everybody from the horrors underneath by having notices about female bodies, and if you actually consider what the implications of that are, it's a lot mm. less civilized than the notice is making it out to be. Yeah. And scary that they would even have to bother with that social nicety. Yeah. No, it's just, that's one of the weirdest things in the world to me, is that, like, you know, society still kind of looks like it's going on on the surface, but there's there's that very strong undercurrent of possible violence that's just always there. Um, uh, the obstruction was identified as part of a commercial trawler as seen a floated by a female uh, sign floated by a female cor- uh, floated by female corpses. This confirms reports from Florida and the Gulf of the of the use of such signs, some of them over a mile in length. Similar reports coming from the Pacific Coast and as far away as Japan indicate 
a growing hazard to coastwide shipping. This is a thing that like really bugged me because it's like, oh my, we can't even ship anymore. There's just so many female bodies littering the ocean, and it's like, it's, and that's the response. That's the response, and it's like there's this real like I mean we kind of talked about earlier. It's like in order to create violence against someone else, you have to like disconnect. You have to like see them in essence as being less than you, as like being not human. And I think that that's very interesting and sort of like, and it kind of socialist to me, like sort of like perks its ears up when it hears shit like that because it's like, oh no, wouldn't want to fuck up shipping, would we? Yeah, right. We we get what the real bottom line is at the end of all this in the end. It's that if the business as usual can't go on because of this, you know, slight inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because it's like there are so many like so many justifications get made for the way things can be in this society, and it's like someone will step up with religion. Or someone will step up with money. Like, you know, and then it's like, who else is there? They're the people who, oh, isn't that funny? They want to save the women. Like, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure, like, later, like, you know, Anne totally is on board with this. Well, that's what's scary. The science fiction of this is, is not so much that men have the capacity for this violence or that religion have the ability to allow people to justify their actions or any of these things that, that we do these things for money for the bottom line it's that there's a supernatural thing that's heightening those things but if man didn't have that inherent in them already inside mm -hmm. this would be moot point yeah no and it's like they they bring it up or in um was it uh, I, she brings it up in um that one section where she's she's talking about the um uh the male sexual response like the thing that yeah uh, the thing that triggers uh, arousal in men it's like located very near like the mechanism is sort of closely linked to our our, our uh, violence drive right and a lot of the same yeah. chemical systems are activated and the same mm. sort of uh, biological responses happen occur simultaneously you know heart beating faster mm. uh, things about you know uh, the arousal response. An anger response. They're very, they're very tightly connected. Mm. No, and this is a thing that's like, it, and this is going to sound strange, but it's like I always, I always kind of had like a strange disconnect with uh, aspects of sex crimes because I assumed um, for a while that because, like, because they were sex crimes, that they were primarily sexually motivated, and it wasn't until somewhat recently that the explanation has had become full, where it's like, you know, someone like Harvey Weinstein, like, you know, like keeping a woman in the room watching him masturbate. Like this stuff, like that's that's a that's, power play. That's a power play. That's not a. I mean, sexual release happens, but that was not the point of that. The point of that was to to enact violence and control over another person. Right. Which which we see this the story makes a lot of the violence and and sexuality both be the focus of that. But if you look at our world, it's it's more a case of of the power itself that's being held over them in almost any industry or any situation. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily involving sex. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good line. Uh, top uh, the top item, however, seemed to be from Anne, or at least the Anne Arbor News. Uh, Dr. Lillian Dash, together with several hundred other members of her organization, have been arrested for demonstrating without a permit in front of the White House. They seem to have started a fire in an oil drum, which was considered particularly heinous. A number of women's groups had participated. The total, the total struck Allen more at like thousands than hundreds. Extraordinary, uh, extraordinary security precautions were being taken, despite the fact that the president was out of town at the time. So, yeah, yeah. totally can't see that happening in our world. Right? No, that's. Oh my god, this is so unbelievable. No, uh, I mean, I guess uh, you listeners at home have probably guessed who we voted for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, this is like, and this is a thing that's very interesting to me is like, you know, that uh, some of the bullshit that happened, like when um, um, Elizabeth Warren got up and uh, and read Coretta Scott King, and like, you know, she was told to stop, and yet she persisted. And it's like, you know, these women were arrested just for showing up to being like, you want to do something about all this violence against women? Yeah, I mean, they I'll... set fire in an oil drum, which was considered especially heinous. <laughs> Right, and it's it's not as though the act itself was heinous. It's who was doing it and what mm. it was in service of that was considered heinous and, and reprehensible. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was. It's questioning the way things are, which is interesting because until recently, this has only been how things were. Which kind of strangely reminds me of a lot of other stuff from history, where it's like stuff where you know people talk about it, it's like, oh, this is this is just the way it's always been. You've only been buying diamond engagement rings since the twenties. Right. Like, the way it's always been is a lot shorter than you think. Yeah, like drinking orange juice and eating bacon for breakfast. It's not It's not as old as people think it is. Yeah. No, it's... It, yeah, they're not... These, these are not exactly... Uh, it's not a revolutionary ideal. It's not at all. History is written by the victors, right? Yeah. Actually, was it... I heard... Uh, I should try and find it, because it was a really interesting um, lecture talk, but it was, um, it was sort of a take on that notion, but sort of a, a refutation of it, where it's like... History is not written by the winners, it's written for the winners. Yes, that's, that, that is far more apt. Which I think, like, yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense to me, where it's like, cause it's like, I don't know, if history was written by the winners, I don't think I would know the name of a single Native American tribe. That's right. Like, Kaka! Secret message! Kaka! Oh, Bluskin, we have a raven. It's our patented Kaka noise <laughs> that you've grown to patent become pending. so fond of. Patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this was, this was a line that really, uh, that I thought was really good. Well, enough of these jitters. It'll all be over by the time you get back. Just history. Like, it's Anne writing to Alan just being like, I can't wait for you to come back. And it's like, and it's really sad because it's this notion of like, when you get here, like, whatever's going to happen, like, we can face this shit together. But it's like, you know, by the time, it'll all be over by the time you get back. Just history. Just a history of violence against women. Yeah, it is just history. That's literally just history. Yeah, it... It is pretty chilling how that works. Uh, which that was... That's another thing about this story that's, like, the language in it. Like, it's very utilitarian. Like, it gets its very... It gets a very cold point across. And it's... Like, it's weird to me. Because it's, like... It's not, like, a style like Roth Ellison. It's not... It's definitely its own thing. And it's surgical. There's an economy of words, but it's also doing an explanation of the purpose for why it's being used on several levels. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I'm not going to read this bit, but I was just like, I love some of the notations that I made from forever ago. One of these is just like, is everyone losing their fucking minds? Something I screamed out a lot while reading this. Ah, you maniacs! You blew it up! Yeah, it's like, and in this, but in this case, it's worse. You maniacs, you blew them up. You killed all of the women? And then you just let it happen. Dude, have you guys ever seen Children of Men? Good movie, though. Yes. It's good. It's, it's some good stuff. That actually might be a good recommend for another stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like, it's kind of similar source material, but instead of, like, all the men go insane and murder other women, it's just humanity becomes sterile. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're well, just no, like, oh, that's also, we have to all deal yeah. with the fact that we're not reproducing anymore. That's kind of, I feel like, uh, I feel like the aliens probably wanted us off the planet, like, a lot sooner than us dying off naturally would have happened, which is probably why the, uh, but yeah, like, if they were cool about it, they could just sterilize us. Yeah, there's, there's a reason that they... I wanted to use that quote for for what you were just talking about. This one? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. All right. 
uh, was it this bit? Um, this is probably the one that I would I would say that this is the section of prose that really spoke the most to me about sort of the theme, and I feel like it just boils it all down to this like really fine point. But it's a uh, she's writing to her husband who is or no she's writing to Barney um, who is not really responding anymore. So she could just be talking to no one. Um, I still can't real I still can't really realize I have to stop myself from rushing back. But you saved my life, I know that. The first trip I got a paper. I saw where where they bombed the Apostle the Apostle Islands refuge. So all of the women were moved to the Apostle Islands and like it was then bombed by men. Uh, and it had about those three women stealing the Air Force the Air Force plane and bombing Dallas too. Of course they shot them down over the Gulf. Isn't it strange how we do nothing? Just get killed by ones and twos. Or more now. They've started on the refugees, like hypnotized rabbits. We're a toothless race. Do you know I never said we, meaning women, before? We was always me and Alan and Amy, of course. Being killed selectively encourages group identification. You see how sane-headed I am? Yeah, that's probably one of the most arresting passages in the entire thing. Yeah, just, and it's it's a good paragraph to let you know that we are coming to the end of, like, humanity with this bullshit. But, like, that's that part, like, just really chills me. It's, like, it, it's amazing how little we do just get killed by ones and twos before it was about not doing anything, like, not being sort of, like, more proactive against this. But now it's just, like, now we don't do much except die. And, yeah, and, and, and again, that we has become something else. Yeah. And it's, that's the thing that, you know, like we talked about this earlier where it's like, I've, I've talked to, um, some women and I'm not going to say that they, they don't consider themselves feminist or like don't hold some value like for feminism. Like they believe in equality and equal pay, but they're like, they're hesitant to use the phrase, um, because they think that it means something like that is equivalent to hating men or something. Right. There or, was that Time Magazine yeah. poll a couple of years ago about the most hated words, and mm. feminism was one of them until they had to retract that as being part of the poll. Yeah, and it's like, that's fucking ridiculous. Like, I don't understand why anyone would hate feminism, because it's about equality, but um, the thing that I find interesting, though, is, like, this is sort of, like, what she says about we. Like, just, no, we was my family. We was, like, this my social group, because, of course it was. It was, it was my husband, it was my daughter, like... It was the it was my community, and then all of a sudden have to think about we is oh no it's the people who share my struggle it's other women too that's right because they've been targeted they have to identify and it's like yeah being killed selectively encourages group identification where it's like I guarantee you like you know like I you could put people into situations where it's they will find allies very quickly if you're both you know discriminated against and we're humans so there's always going to be something that we can identify with in a group of other people to try and gain strength yeah. against something coming yeah um yeah, so I think, actually, that is that is my last one. Since we read the beginning of the story, uh, I feel it fitting to bookend that with the end. Um, we're, we're seeing this from the point of view of uh, Anne. Anne. Of Anne. And this is at the end of the book after, you know, Barney is no longer responding. She's on the run. It's the end of the world. And that's where we start this quote. This way, there's no must, no fuss. Just like what we did to the screwfly. Pinpoint the weak link. Wait a bit while we do it for them. Then only a few bones to kick around. Make good fertilizer. Barney, dear, goodbye. I saw it. It was there. But it wasn't an angel. I think I saw a real estate agent. Mm. Yeah, that's... That is a really great ending. Like, it's very, like... Like, it just hits you. It hits with you and it sticks with you as well. I, I think I've probably 
reread that quote five or six times now at this point, just because from a story perspective and having a sense of finality, it it feels like you're left wanting more, but also you don't really want to see the horror that comes next because mm. it, it really is the end. Yeah. No, and it's it's such a weird the end too, because it's like no, I just love that. No muss, no fuss. You know, you just kick some bones around, it's good fertilizer. Like, you know, people become the fertilizer for this new thing. And it's like, the thing I saw was not an angel, it was a real estate agent. Who are we selling this to? Like, who are they? Like, like what is, you know, I guess the end play is just like, oh, we're going to use the planet for something. Be it hyperspace bypass or, um, you know, colonization. But either way, we're fertilizer. We are. I mean, unless if somehow, unless we can just get a hold of Bradbury and figure out how exactly we possess them after we've died. Right. And, and you know, luckily we have this story and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And it's like, I think that it's a great story to read right now. It's super important. And I'm uh, like, I'm utterly sold on this. I think that this is a great story. Like, and I kind of want to read more. I'm definitely going to read this again. And I would definitely watch the Masters of Horror directed by Joe Dante again. There was actually a thing that I found rather interesting about the, uh, um, the Joe Dante that we watched was um, when they show you the aliens at the end, uh, they have sort of like this, they're very tall and they're like these creatures, like these luminescent creatures that have like what looks like very long feminine hair. So there's kind of this weird notion that the aliens that are setting all of this about like are sort of coded feminine or coded female. It, yeah, it's especially insidious and I, it's a good addition to the story. You know, the movie took some liberties to try and deepen and further out some of the ideas and, you know, from a visual point. If you're going to say that aliens did it, you got to show it mm-hmm. and to, to make this choice that perhaps they were feminine themselves and it's not a matter of masculine or feminine, but to them it was a matter of we're the screw fly yeah. and we're their fertilizer. Yeah. It, it gives it an especially insidious uh, addition. Yeah. No, it super does. And it's like there's, you know, was it Alan and uh, Barney? Like their their work, like despite the fact that it has to do with uh, manipulating the gen, like or manipulating like the structure of gender within insect populations, it's not based in hatred. Like they they do what they do for the cane fly or for the screw or for the uh, the screw fly because. It's just become a problem to humanity to like have them where they are, so uh, they just attempt to use science to eradicate the problem. And what we see is aliens using science in an attempt to eradicate a problem, which is us, but the problem, when it manifests itself, it's exhibited in symptoms of religiosity, of misogyny, like, it's... But it is still cold to them. It doesn't yeah. mean anything to them at all. It's literally just, it's systematic. Yeah. No, it's just, oh no, this is just what they do. They're fucking animals. Yeah, we're just making it go a little faster. No, and it was, fucking love this story. Uh, Do you have um, anything to say upon reflection? I have a couple different things to say upon reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that, I mean, there's a lot of different things to touch on, but I thought that it's interesting. I saw you have some notes on um, Al Sheldon's, like, career yes i don't know much about her what's uh, i know she was a psychiatrist yes so i mean that that was about as much as i as <laughs> well but but there's this idea about the fact that she was a professional psychologist uh who came of age in the aftermath of world war ii where women went from having more power and self-authority that they'd ever had before because they were working in factories they were doing daily jobs they were taking care of business 
while the men were overseas, and she witnessed these men returning and taking back control of their society. And I definitely think that that factored a great deal into the narrative for this story. No, I totally... Actually, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's something I didn't even really consider. She started practicing immediately after World War II. Like, that's that's after the birth of, like, what we would now consider clinical psychology. So it's like she's the first... She's one of the first women to go into this field, like, where it's, like, it's kind of new and kind of not still not trusted. Like, it's one of my favorite jokes in Mad Men is every time a psychiatrist shows up, they're all like, like, oh, look at this Mr. Egghead who knows nothing. Sure, we've come a long way from alienists uh, being considered a wasteful expense for the very rich Mm. uh, to being, uh, I would say, to the point that you can get an app to help you out with a psychologist, uh, Mm. you know, where where they Skype with you and talk with you and you pay in installments. I mean, it's definitely become integrated into our way of life that it's 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 considered more helpful and and necessary. Um, no, so it's uh, I just wanted to bring out that um, since 1991, uh, the James Tripty Jr. Award has been something that they award in science fiction uh, to primarily female writers. It looks like, and uh, 1994 winner, uh, one of my favorite writers, Ursula Le Guin. Nice. So uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's uh, the woman created a phenomenon. Alice B. Sheldon, a.k.a. Rakuna Sheldon, a.k.a. Uh, James Tiptree Jr. Oh, shit. This is crazy. Um, just real quick, the, um, they've gotten uh, James Tripty Jr. awards, have retrospectively uh, given awards to um, The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, which is another good one, and two Joanna Russ novels. Nice. Uh, one of them is The Female Man, which is a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> possible future episode yeah oh my god we should totally <laughs> but yeah so um no that's uh, i think it's interesting that um i i didn't know about uh alice sheldon and i'm super happy i do now like i've i've got a reading list now <laughs> yeah i i ended up after goodreads adding a bunch of uh, a bunch of books to my list as well and i'm looking forward to reading those um speaking of which do you want to go into uh, related material Sure. Um, so I, I had a couple different things. The thing that stuck out stuck out for me the most was an episode of The Twilight Zone, uh, season one, episode twenty two, from March fourth, nineteen sixty. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Uh, in this episode, a blackout causes the eventual uh, insanity of a group of neighbors on a block. And we zoom out to see that this is happening on a worldwide level. Oh, shit. I and think it's I've seen this episode, aliens. yeah. It's a really good one, too. And, and if you don't mind, I want to read a quote from it as well. Oh, please. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill, and suspicion can destroy, and a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat has a fallout all of its own. For the children, and the children yet unborn. And the pity of it is that these things cannot be confined to the Twilight Zone. Oh. <laughs> and you know, even though that was about Cold War and Red Scare paranoia, you can extend, instead of the other being the the evil outsider that's trying to come in, it's females already among us. Yeah. And the idea of gender and gender wars. I heard it in uh, Rod Serling's voice, too. <laughs> I, I was trying I, I, to read it as much Rod Serlingly as I could. I think I at least got the Twilight Zone part right. No, it's a... Uh, man, 
We should we should watch that at some point in the near future. I would like to do that. That's definitely an episode worth doing. Um, did you want to do one, or should I just do the rest of mine? Was it? I could do one. Uh, okay. Was it? There's uh, one book that um, I started forever ago, and I want to pick it up and finish after this. I just need to find it. Uh, it's called The Killing Fields: Harvest of Women uh, by Diana Washington Valdez, and it's about the. Uh, um, I don't know if you, like you you guys know about this, but there's like. Uh, a real problem with women going missing and turning up dead outside El Paso. And uh, this woman wrote a book that sort of is not really, it's really good. It's just going into depth of, you know, what exactly is going on in Juarez and like who some of these victims are. But um, when you read, like if you ever, if you get a chance to like go like to the, go on the internet and like look at the list of women that they've been finding in that desert over the past few decades, it's staggering and it's still going on. Like, That's shocking. Um, I'll definitely have to look into that. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd like to recommend for TV shows, the current American horror story, Cult. Especially, I believe it's episode 7, but don't quote me on that. Which is all about Lena Dunham, the guest star of the season, playing Valerie Solanus. The radical feminist and scum manifesto author who attempted to murder Andy Warhol. Now, the show is all about a cult of personality played by Evan Peters, and we come to find out that he has been put on the path to controlling an alt-right audience and uh, becoming a cult of personality in an effort to become president. And what we further find out is that his anger management therapist is Valerie's ex-girlfriend and protege who wants to take the Scum Manifesto even further and basically destroy society using the rage of women and build it back up. It, it's a particularly good season of American Horror Story because there's little to no supernatural elements. It's mostly political satire. Mm. But this particular episode, it's some of my favorite material from Lena Dunham performing, and uh, both she and Evan Peters put in great performances showing how cults uh, involving radicalized feminism or uh, against feminism both of them can be taken out of control and co-opted by groups with further intentions other than you know restructuring society for the good of people in it yeah so i would highly recommend that one specifically that episode now i want to check that out because it's like there was um i actually read the scum manifesto the manifesto when i was in college and i was very fascinated with the mind that created it and i also feel like it's more acceptable to be a it's gonna sound weird. It's more acceptable to be kind of obsessed with that because it's not like Andy Warhol died as a result of that. No, and that's that's <laughs> kind of also what's interesting about the episode is it shows Solanus as ultimately being a failure to even get her be famous for her own movement, but instead dying as the failed assassin of Andy Warhol. Yeah. Even even in that, she was overshadowed by the male. Yeah. And and you know, there's a lot of funny ironies like that in the story that. I think fit maybe not so much the somber tone of the story, but definitely mm-hmm. the idea of the scum manifesto and sort of taking a look at the radical feminized version of this story. Very interesting. No, that's good. And actually, like, it's, I think it'll pair well. Uh, was it my second recommendation? Because, like, I mean, how do you follow up the killing fields? <laughs> a harvest of women. Right. Except for there's this one novel. I kind of just wanted to pick something that I felt shared some themes with this, but like, um, was the complete opposite. And there was this one book that I read, and forgive me, because it's French. Uh, it's a French science fiction novel by a woman named Monique Wittick, and it's called Les Grilles. 
or the gorillas, like, but it's, um, it's about a fictional, it was published in the 1960s, uh, was it, I read the, uh, the David LeVay translation, but it's, um, uh, it's about a future society wherein a gender war is occurring between men and women, and the women are winning. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it's, it basically is just, like, it's, it's a lot of cool philosophy, it's a lot of talk about, um, sort of what a matriarchy might look like. And the the way that sort of the gender war is won in the end is because sort of like the older generation is allowed to die away, and a lot of the younger men like they want to team up with the gorillas, like the women who are, you know, badass fighters. So that one's just that one's just fun. Like if if you get a chance, you should check it out. <laughs> a gorilla warfare at its finest. I'll have to check that out. No, and it's like I was, and that's this is gonna sound really random, but it was like one of my favorite characters in Predator was the like the female freedom fighter. Like the the lady Sandinista or whatever who was just like now I know about things in the jungle man like so it's like I, I kind of love that that aspect that science fiction can give you of just like a bunch of women like you know relying on each other and fighting in the wilderness and I love being able to see this uh, the idea of the gender war who's winning who's losing and and which which side and how long it does it take yeah. No, and it's like it's one of those things that I find interesting too, because it's like I don't like you know obviously I don't believe in like a gender war or like even like I feel like if I lived in the situation like the gorillas, um, I would fight with the ladies in the jungle, but that's just because the everything that's set in opposition to them is fucked up. So it's like I feel like there's sort of more of that. I don't think that the end goal of I mean I'm positive the end goal of feminism is not to instill a matriarchy. Because it's like, that's kind of the thing that feminism critiques is that, you know, one gender being in charge is a good idea. Like, and that's not what feminism is about. Like, it's not like, no, it's only okay when women oppress men. It's not about that. It's... Yeah, we're not looking for equality by a different name. We're looking for equality. Yeah. Like, and that's... So it's like, that's the thing that's problematic about that book. It was French, it was French feminist scientific, science fiction from the 1960s. So... Context. There was a lot of really weird alliteration that just happened right now. Can I interrupt for one second? Yes. Le guerrier. Le guerrier. <laughs> so now we just have to replace my that sound about of me going, le guerrier. That's actually French for gorilla meat. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs> that's, that's not it, a true It's just French for American. <laughs> Thanks a lot. America. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Merci, Obama. <laughs> can, we just, can we make that a thing from now on? Merci, Obama. Just every time we're pissed, we just say thanks, As far Obama, as I'm concerned, it already is now. Merci, Obama. <laughs> All right, uh, anything else? No, but, you know, if you want to check out our other episodes, uh, our Facebook page, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us any comment or if you just gave us a listen. Oh, yeah, or fuck it. Tell us a story to read. Absolutely. Give well, us some, you know, give us some some good pointers, because, you know, we try to find the good stuff, but, you know, we're just two dudes. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be lost heading back into Omos. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, was it thank you for listening to a podcast about feminist science fiction featuring two cisgendered dudes. <laughs> yeah. The elephant in the room? <laughs> yeah, no, we had to bring it up, but it's like, you know, I'm, like, I'm an ally. I like to be... Um, I just don't really know anyone who's know any 
feminists who have read the story, like women who want to be here. Yeah. So I mean, if you have opinions, yeah. please shout them out to us. No, we'd be happy to show to share them. Serious. We want to start a conversation about this stuff because honestly, there's a lot of things in this story that I feel like we should be talking about as as a group. Yes. Um, was it for our next one? Uh, did you want to do um, Joanna Russ's uh, "Those of Us Who Are Yes"? Here? All right. Um, so uh, yes, awesome. So tune in next time when we will be covering uh, Joanna Russ's least well received, uh, least well received novel. Uh, those of us who are those who are about to. Um, I've been Bryce Skidmore, and I've been David Leskin. And have yourself a good night, and we'll see you through the looking glass. For those about to rock in the mirror zone.